We're in a conversation and have been about relationships. I finished that conversation today, wrapping up tonight. It's been a joy. Uh, it's been humorous. It's been intense with some of the emails you've sent me. Uh, and then next week, Mike is preaching here in North End. Uh, and I am preaching in George, live and in person. So I'll be on the garden route. George, Georgia, preaches in George. It couldn't get funnier than that. And then uh, Ryan and his family and I are hopping over to Cyprus for a week to do the the run through of the tour that we plan for later, but I'll be back for the next Sunday, the tenth. I'll literally land in the parking lot, and we'll we'll start a new series. Uh, we are titling that series "Chainbreaker," and we want to talk about ways in which Jesus sets captives free, and our captivity may be sometimes more subtle than we realize. And so, I'm looking forward to that series uh, also. Well, today I hope to uh, tackle the topic um, of how to choose the right partner or make your partner the right partner for you. I can immediately sense the tension in the room on the topic. Firstly, you're conflicted by my hypocrisy as a single person sharing something. And secondly, you're wondering, how can you make somebody who isn't the right person become the right person? And then the third tension is this weird idea that there is only one person designed by God for you and that He sets you loose on the planet and then watches from a distance in the hopes that you will bump into each other and have the perfect marriage. All of those are not entirely useful attitudes. First of all, Jesus taught us from Scripture how to live a godly life in every season. You don't have to have kids to know how to be honourable as a parent yet. You go to Scripture and you see how to do it. Then the idea that uh, only one person is God's design for you is a very strange notion because all of us are changing and growing all the time. The only person that is a good partner for you for life is the person under submission to Jesus Christ. I've met lots of people who are so perfect for each other that they get into that weird kind of relationship where they just look at each other and smile and they know what they're talking about and none of the rest of us do. They've got that kind of affection which, you know, is... Uh, punctuated by uh, stares and looks and smiles and giggles and to everybody else is um, interesting. <laughs> I was going to say a word that rhymes with interesting. But do you know how many times I've met people like that? Five years later, they're in the counselling room. They want to kill each other. They don't use words. They come with weapons. And they want to kill each other. How did so, someone so perfect become so imperfect? Every time, let me tell you as a pastor, every time the answer is the same, one or the other or both are no longer surrendered under Jesus Christ. They no longer have Him as their head. They've gotten into the, perhaps this idea of I'm in charge and I'll, I'll do it my way. And you'll fall out of love with and become imperfect for anybody if you're not surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's the key. God first. There's also a second tension to this idea, and that is that I, I'm, it, it really uh, is uh, hurtful. It's sad in a way to me 
Um, how many people need, need somebody to pray with them? How many husbands or wives ask pastors, can you come and pray with me? Can I come to the church? Will you pray for me? That part's not sad. I think we should always pray for one another. What is sad to me though, is that they've got nobody at home they're comfortable with enough to pray with. That when you, you know, your best prayer partner is your marriage partner. And if you don't, can't cultivate that kind of relationship, you feel uncovered or unprotected spiritually. So my point is this, is that we ought to choose wisely, stay surrendered permanently and trust God eternally. Those are the keys. So, so far we've spoken about counterfeit relationships. Those are relationships where you have to be fake to stay in it and they're never godly. We talked about contaminated relationships where the fights are about the same thing all the time and nothing goes further forward. There's no progress or advancement. And the atmosphere around you is so intense. We talked about compromised relationships where you have to surrender all the time to keep it going. And not to Jesus, you surrender in your standards with one another just to stay together. And we talked about how unwise that is. And then we talked about compassion relationships, relationships that are based on feelings and uh, that are motivated by how someone makes me feel or how I want to feel in life. And we talked about how unbiblical that can be, that feelings should follow faith and not the other way around. I can't tell you how many times people have fallen in love with someone, have huge feelings for them, drag them to church and then bring them to the front and say to me, I brought you this wild hyena. Can you tame can you tame it? I must be careful not to use the word it in this day and age, right? But you know, uh, and, and you know, the, the hope is that we'll sort of cast out demons and do whatever. And I always love when this happens because I have a little trick now as I've gotten a little older. I, I can do tricks, you know. And um, I got the, I've got this little trick where somebody brings me someone who's clearly not interested in God, arms folded, and they say to me, can you just, can you just, I always start with them. I'm like, what are you thinking? I just pray for you first. Now people don't bring me people anymore. But you know, uh, they, 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 <laughs> there is a danger in cultivating relationships that are built only on feelings. Your feelings don't fix people. So don't use feelings to try. You can't sulk somebody into the kingdom. You can't. You can't date somebody and then go, oh, please come, oh, please come to church. Oh, please come to church with me. Oh, babe, it'll make me so happy if you just came to church with me. It's just sulking. It only works until five. You know, hopefully, hopefully your parents at some point said, okay, suck it up now. You're 19. And that's not going to work. Equally, we can't persuade God. I'm going to use some phrases people actually use in prayers. Lord, I can't live without her. Heaven's like, you'll be fine. We set up an entire planet that hasn't yet been copied anyway. You can't find another planet like this so you can live. You'll be fine. You know those kinds of prayers? They're just so emotional that they often exclude faith. Sometimes when you're not yet married, the breakup is the greatest blessing. Your dependency grows on God. 
Today, I want to specifically talk to you about the fifth kind of relationship, character relationships. I hear this a lot, and some of it is really fine. It's wonderful. But we must be careful that it's not a cheap substitute for what God really wants. Character relationships are relationships based on the idea that the person you're with makes you better. Now, don't feel guilty. You all said it at your weddings. The best man at every speech, the groom just always says, I just want to thank my wife. You make me a better man. It's a lovely thing to say. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just pause there. There's nothing wrong with it. But it doesn't quite yet rise to the standard of a righteous relationship. And I'm going to explain to you in a while. It's not about whether somebody makes you better. It is whether somebody makes you biblically better. Yes, you may have met somebody who finally taught you why there are so many knives and forks on either side of the plate. They made you a little better. You maybe have found somebody for whom you are willing to get out of bed when the alarm goes off. They made you better. Maybe you've met somebody who took one look at you and said, you should train with me if you want to keep me. And that made, the, made you better. Maybe you finally met somebody for whom you're willing to take those old posters off the wall for. <laughs> CP. And paint your house in an adult colour. And put up pictures with frames. Hashtag adulting. You're all wondering what's an adult colour. Check Plascon's annual colour of the year. Go from there. A friend sent a photo to me yesterday and said, I spent the whole day painting my bathroom. It went from horrible yellow to dark grey. And it really was a big improvement. I said to them, that's decades of improvement. Yellow was in in the 70s. And dark grey was in in 2010. You've... Ah, what does it matter? Yes, in that sense, a person makes you better. The trouble is, such a person might be wonderful on the practicals, on the internals, or even on the emotionals. But are they making you better spiritually? You want to be in a relationship with someone who teaches you that your prayer should improve from the Superman prayer for food to something a little deeper. Some of you are wondering what the Superman prayer for food is. I'm not going to do it now. I sort of thank you, Lord, for giving us food. Uh, I, I mean, that's as far as I'm willing to go. You know, the story about prayer, uh, you've got to pray, pray well and then pray wisely. The story is told of a man. It's obviously not a true story, uh, it, but it is an analogy. The story is told of a man who was on safari and a lion, hungry lion, saw him and gave chase. The man was a Christian, started praying. What should he pray? He said, I know, Lord, make that lion a Christian in the, na in the name of Jesus. When he wiped his eyes again, he found the lion on its knees, mumbling a prayer. He thought, my prayers worked. 
he went a little closer to listen to the prayer and found the lion saying, and thank you, Lord, for the food which you have provided for me today. <laughs> pray, pray wisely. In uh, the book of Matthew chapter five, and in many places of Scripture, but particularly chapter five, because it's the prayer, it's the chapter on the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus keeps raising the standard. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, and then he raises the standard. More than five or seven times in that chapter, he says, this is what everybody thinks, but I'm telling you, think at a higher level a higher standard. You've heard that it was said you can divorce your spouse by the writing of a letter, but I'm telling you to love uh, through the troubles in your marriage. Uh, Again and again, you want somebody in your life who appeals not only for you to be at least as good as your neighbourhood, but wants it to be as good as God has in mind for you. A powerful moment of prayer. I think so much would be resolved in our personal lives if we had praying families and praying spouses who got through the awkwardness of what that feels like and just learned how to do it. Can I tell you, not only should we be more spiritual in that way and motivate one another, one of the most useful things a spouse, a godly spouse can do for you is to tell you to stop talking about how you intend to do it and actually do it with you. Do you know how many friends I have who agree with me when I say, geez, I should go back to gym? They all agree. Yes, you should. It's a good idea. Let me know when you get there. I have a friend who rents from me. Some of you know the story. It's quite a funny story by now because he's of Italian descent, but he looks a little like me because of the Mediterranean thing, which has provoked unnecessary rumours about a potential stray son living uh, at my house. At my house. I said to him the other day, oh, I think I should get to gym more often. And he said, yes, I think you should. And an hour later came dressed, ready for gym. I said to him, what are we doing? He said, you said you wanted to get back to gym. Let's go. I got in the car. I thought I'd just Uber him there and spend an hour and come back. I said to him, how long do you want to be here? He said, about two hours. Do you know how many Christians say, do you know, I think I should pray about it. I think I should pray about it. I think I should pray about it. But never actually pray. You've got to turn everything off and say, let us pray. And actually pray about it. Not talk about the intention to pray about it. I think it becomes incredibly vital that you have those kinds of relationships in your life. In your life. So the standard for a good godly relationship when it comes to characters, biblical character. The first thing you should look for and ask for and then in marriage be. So today if you are married, we're not doing a marriage wife swap thing here. That's an Australian TV show and it should stay there. Um, We're not doing that. We're we're changing our hearts before we change our, our, our spouses. Can you say amen to that? The first question you should have is, ask is, how are we growing? Do you know, all of us are growing all the time 
It's whether we like the direction of our growth or not that matters. God, I wanna grow the way you want me to grow and not the way everybody else decides for me to grow. Second Timothy chapter two from the Amplified says, remind the people of these facts and solemnly charge them in the presence of God to avoid petty controversy over words, which does no good and upsets and undermines and ruins the faith of those who listen. Can we just pause there for a moment? Uh, we have a lot of people here today. I'm told the parking lot was the fullest it's been since Easter Friday, which is wonderful. Welcome to church, everybody, especially if this is your first time. Hello. We've been missing you. <clears throat> but let me, let me tell you the importance of uh, that phrase. There is, it would be wrong to think that what, some of the chaos in the world hasn't crept into the church. And one of the chaotic things that have crept into the church is that uh, churches are being tempted to get into controversies for little cheap wins for this or against that, into end times or not into end times. Let me just tell you, don't fall for it. A few years ago, a few decades ago, there was all other kinds of things we were tempted into. Toronto blessing and falling and laughing and dust and diamonds and things. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just thank the Lord. And everybody went there, heard instinct. That's what we want to get into. It wasn't long and it was, it was temporary and it was emotional and it was often unnecessary, although sometimes necessary, it was often unnecessary. Let us not be caught up in unnecessary controversies. The person for the pulpit is Jesus Christ. The story of the gospel is salvation through Jesus Christ. The call to the world is repentance from our sins. What we feel about the end of days or a conspiracy or a presidency or a policy or a pandemic, we leave that for discussions with Peter, James and John when we get there one day. But we don't divide the church about it. Can we say amen to that? We don't, it's very unwise to do that. You know, um, my last funny story, I've got so much to get through today, but I'll tell you, I've obviously read, you know, had a funny pill sometime this week, uh, found humorous stories. Uh, the, 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 this man got to heaven and found it a little boring. He said to Peter, would you mind if on the weekend, I maybe just popped over to hell and you know, just had a look at what that was like. Hell was expecting him. He had a wonderful weekend. It was really great. He went back to heaven a few days later. He said, look, Peter, maybe next weekend, you know, we make it a weekend thing. He popped out for a weekend, had a great time, came back quite joyful. He had an awkward meeting with Peter. He said, look, I think I'm in the wrong place, to be honest. I, I, I think, you know, and they negotiated for some time and the man finally packed his bags and went downstairs. When he got there, he had the most awful experience. He got into the worst corner of hell. Nobody would talk to him. Everything seemed hotter and things much more horrible. He called one of the demons. He said, what happened? On the weekends, it was wonderful. And now? He said, ah, you were a tourist then. You're a citizen now. You might think that's just a joke, but be careful. You don't do weekend Christianity on one side of the line and think that's the real deal. You do enough weekends away, you'll end up in hell. 
seemed, a, even in saying it, it seemed a bit severe. I'm just going to leave it on the floor and if anyone wants to take it home with them, they can. It says, which does no good but upset and undermine and ruin the faith of those who listen. Study to do your best to present yourself to God approved as a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling, skillfully testing the Word of God. Let me pause there for a moment again. You want somebody who will be with you through a trial and go with you through a difficulty, who will study with you to know what God says and pray with you until the demons flee and the kingdom of God is established in your heart. You want somebody who knows how to build the house of the Lord in your home, not just a nice home in a nice structure. Choose wisely, think smartly. In fact, the Scripture goes on to say to avoid uh, irreverent babbling and godless chatter Uh, which is profane, empty words, for it will lead to further ungodliness and their teachings will spread like gangrene. This scripture goes on to describe how giving in a little produces lots of problems later. I can't tell you how many people, I guess, I've met over the years who agree on something when they're young and absolutely kill each other over the same thing when they're older. Your tolerance level changes. Rather have somebody who will journey with you, get in the fight with you, see the victory with you, walk with God with you and establish your heart in faith with you. Can you say amen to that? Secondly, so not only how are you growing, but secondly, how are you flowing? The freedom of connecting with God and one another is a spiritual connection. Some people make emotional connections, academic connections, They're even physically connected or attracted. They talk about chemistry. We just had chemistry. I can't tell you how amazing that term is because I can't find it in Scripture. And yet everybody seems to want to build their lives on it. But do you have chemistry? I reckon chemistry should get people around the discussion uh, table. But Christianity should get people to the altar. And chemistry is not enough. It's enough to get you going in a relationship, but not enough to carry you through all the things that God has intended for you. Second Timothy 2 in the Amplified goes on to say, in a large house, there are not only vessels or objects of gold and silver, but also vessels or objects of wood and of earthenware. Uh, um, and some are for noble or good use and some for dishonorable or ignoble or common use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from uh, things which are dishonorable, disobedient or sinful, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart uh, uh, for a special purpose and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I want to encourage you that your marriage or your relationship is not only about what you get, it's about what you offer God, an empty vessel that God can fill with His peace and His purpose. Do you connect spiritually? Years ago, I heard the weirdest thing. It still strikes me as really strange. This couple came to me and said, we don't really think we should be officially married. We just knelt down and we prayed and we asked the Lord to see us as married and then we moved in together. And I thought, this is the guy's idea. (laughs) 
I thought, she's Christian. He's got an agenda. And to reach his agenda, he was willing to be Christian for a couple of minutes. If we could just kneel together and do a little prayer, we could move in together, he said. She fell for it. Let me just say something particularly to the ladies. If your guy is a little slow on the spiritual side, make him run for it and build a relationship with God. Make him run for his faith and build a relationship with God. And you might say, that's manipulation. No, no, it's really not. Do you know there's a passage of Scripture that says, I'm asking the woman to be quiet in the church for a season so that the men can show up. Because the men were being over authoritied by the capacity of women, because women's capacity for God tends to be bigger than men's capacity for God. It's true. Men's capacity is diminished when it comes to connecting with God because the Bible says we see God often through our spouses. We love our spouses and we say, thank you, Lord, for our spouse. Your wife sees you and gets closer to Jesus. Says, Lord, you work with my man. You work with my husband. I want to encourage you, ladies, nudge your men to be in the house of the Lord, in Bible study, and in prayer. And if you have to say, I'll make bacon and egg breakfast for you if you really want, babe, but only if you can quote me a verse you read this morning. <laughs> he will be quoting the Psalms in King James. He will, be, he will be quoting the Psalms in King. You'll be verses you didn't know about that he will be quoting. Let me tell you why that principle is important. It is a form of life coaching. You teach people how to treat you and you teach people new rhythms. You simply say, we don't do that, we do this. And it's really, really powerful. If you just accept one another's weaknesses, you'll end up hurting each other. Do you connect spiritually? Do you walk in the light together? There is another level to commitment to marriage and relationships rather I want to talk about. And that is commitment. We talked about character and we defined it as being a biblical character. But I want to talk to you a little bit about commitment. Commitment is in short supply these days. And I think the reason why commitment is in short supply is because we can hide what we're committed to on our online social media. We can subscribe and follow to something that no one will ever see. Back when I was young, five years ago. If you went somewhere, you physically went there. People knew you were there. You joined something, you were noticeable. You can now create an entire world of things you follow that nobody, including your wife, ever needs to know. And your commitment is as quick as an unsubscribe or an unfollow. But let me tell you what God is doing. He is blessing people who know what commitment is, who know what perseverance is. One of the greatest gifts that God has given the body of Christ is the ability to just keep going. Some of you here today 
feel like you're at the very end of your own strength, I want you to know God will carry you. Place your hand in His and let Him lead the way. Don't try and run away, run alongside. And when you're tired, He'll give you rest. We need to become people who know what commitments are. And I want you to know that the greatest commitment is not to your spouse. Pause for effect, it says on my notes. That's not your greatest commitment. Your greatest commitment is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. From that strength comes your commitment to your spouse and your children and then your calling. If we, if we lose the ability to be faithful to the Lord in obedience to His promptings, we're going to lose the quality of our commitment to everything else. Watch out, the devil is tricking us. I have, some of you know, two dogs. One is a pit bull, like proper. The other wants to be. It's a bit of a mixture. The proper pit bull is, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree, quite funny. The proper, the proper, the proper pit bull is, is intense, dominant, gets the best seat, chases the other one away. We used to feel bad for the other one. And then the other day I realized the other one has found a trick. Do you know, just like the, the devil can trick us, so you think you're dominating. That older pit bull, the real pit bull thinks she's dominating. But the other one's found a trick. He knows if he goes and stands at the window and barks at nothing, <laughs> she will come. And she will also bark. And she will bark while trying to work out what are we barking at. And while they're barking and she's barking, he leaves her and comes and sits at the place of prominence. And even does a little satisfying <laughs> when he sits. And she's at the window. She's angry and she, there's no one out there. There's no one out there. The very echo of her own bark has now gotten her going. She's revved up. He's snoring. You laugh, but how many times might the devil have stood at something that's nothing, barked at it, got you off your seat that Christ had put you on. You're also barking at nothing. You don't know what you're upset about, but you're worked up. And in the meantime, the place of authority has been usurped by a sneaky little trick, a barking dog. Does he not go around like a roaring lion, seeing whom he might deceive? We need to cultivate the character of commitment in order to fulfill all that God had planned for us. There is a verse in Acts chapter 26 from the message that I want to end with. Oh, I do have some verses on commitment, but I'm, I'm watching the time. So I want to do a prayer with you afterwards and an altar call. How many of you remember that powerful statement of commitment from Ruth? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She said that after her husband was gone and she didn't have to be bound any further. But she still said, this is my tribe. 
is these are my people and he is my God. I think we have to uh, cultivate that. Acts chapter 26 uh, from the messages. I, I couldn't just walk away from a vision like that. Paul's describing the vision that God gave him for his life. I can't just walk away, he said. Became obedient believer on the spot. I started preaching this life-changing, this radical turn to God and everything it meant in everyday life. Paul said, I'm not gonna let something so remarkable just fade away. I'm not gonna let my spiritual encounter turn into something in the history books. I took action. I hold on to it. I believe it. I made a decision on the spot and I'm committing my life to it. We need more people who are capable of commitment. That's what God's calling us to. And commitment is a rare commodity in, in, this, in the world. I still believe though, commitment is the, it produces the greatest reward. There's a final verse in the book of Amos. I know, I know you haven't read it. I know you wouldn't know where to find Amos right now. You're like, is there a real book in the Bible? There is. Uh, chapter three, verse three is one of my favorite verses. It says, can two people walk together except they agree to do so? You know, getting to a wedding, we make an aisle for you so you're not lost. It's one straight line. You come to the duomini in the front. You make an aisle for you. But when you leave the road forks in all kinds of directions. And you need somebody in your life that will say, where you go, I go. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. You don't need somebody saying, let's leave everyone else behind. Come with me. We'll go somewhere else. You don't want that. You want a faith that builds for an eternal future. I'm deeply aware as I wrap up. And when I have a topic of conversation like this, there are all kinds of relationship statuses in the room. Maybe your relationship status is like mine, single and loving it. And, I, I, and I, I, that is mine. Um, or maybe your relationship status is married and loving it. But it could also be, thank you for the amen, there are a couple of amens there. I think that's very important. I think that's very important. Those of you who didn't amen, you're in big trouble on the way, on the way to the car. I, I strongly suggest you buy a, like a coffee or something just to ease and give it to you because you should have amen there. And I'm going to give you another chance now. Um, maybe your relationship status is married and loving it. <laughs> I don't know if that's just too little too late now. But... But maybe your relationship status is no matter what it is, I'm hating it. Single and hating it, married and hating it, married with kids and hating it, married without kids and hating it. Just, just traumatizing. Like you are traumatizing to yourself and everybody around you. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you don't want to, it's complicated. <laughs> maybe you're just hurt. And now you come to church, you want a joyful time in church and the guy's going on about relationships and maybe you've decided, I will never have another, I will never allow another, maybe you, that's where you're at. 
I'm not inviting you to make any of those changes. I'm inviting you to make only one change. God first in every area of your life and then a faithful obedience to his leading. That's it, God first. If you're single and hating it, learn to pray on your own. Nobody's coming to join you in prayer. It's just you. Stop waiting. Stop waiting. Get a goldfish. <laughs> Stay in front of your goldfish and say, can we come into agreement where any two of us are gathered? <laughs> Stop waiting. You know how many single people are so depressed they don't want to pray? They're waiting for somebody to pray with them. Stop it. Just pray. There'll come a time you might land up with someone and you think, oh, if I can just have five minutes without this person so I can pray by myself. I just start praying they're there with a verse. Just start. You've never prayed as a couple. It's awkward for you. You've never engaged on a godly topic. It's awkward for you. I want to encourage you. Start. God first. Myself second. He is, I please him. And then he teaches me to follow and obey. Started the series by calling it crazy love. I'm ending it by saying, how crazy is love? And if we'll allow God's love to be shed abroad in our hearts, that love will be extravagant, crazy in its extravagance in loving one another. And I want you to know, irrespective of your status on this topic, this church has a seat for you. Because we believe that every person in every season going through anything is always welcome at the Father's house. That's because we believe our Father can handle anything His children can throw at Him. Anything. There isn't a parenting problem you've come up with He's never seen. He'll parent us right into perfection. Would you please stand with me as we pray? So I'm, I'm, I've started a new thing. I started it in the evening service first. Hey, Stephen, are you coming up to do the thing? This is Stephen's first time on stage here at Father's House, by the way. As well. I've started a new thing in the evening. I'm gonna now, this is the first Sunday we're introducing it here before the end of the service, which I now am making no later than 10.15, I want to invite you to a response. So would you please close your eyes for a moment and the response will be twofold. The one is by show of hands. The other is a prayer to invite Jesus as Lord of your life. When the service is over, you're welcome to come to the front and a trained prayer team, we're revamping that team will be up front to pray for you and communion is available on either side and so forth. We're gonna pray for you. But this is my call to response. If you're in a place today with relationships where you feel off center, not on foundation, broken or injured in some kind of way, or you feel like there's a, but I tell you, level up, a step up for you. You've heard what the world says, but I'll tell you. You've heard they say, but I'll tell you. That one step up. Either of those two categories, I'd love to pray for you. And if that's where you're at, would you just raise your hand long enough and say, you know, I am responding to something in this conversation today and I want you to include me in your prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Thank you. And then secondly, if you, you need to make God first by accepting Jesus as Lord and then allowing Him, giving Him authority, uh, access, uh, um, giving Him the primary seat in the house. Uh, you're not gonna be tricked into barking at nothing and then losing the seat. I'm gonna pray this prayer on the screen and you're welcome to open your eyes and read it out loud. But um, if you pray this prayer, I'd love for you to let us know that you prayed it and come tell us, we'll give you a free Bible and have a conversation with you. But the prayer for online uh, as well goes like this. Dear Jesus, you said in the Bible that whoever hears your words and believes God sent you to set me free from my debt of sin has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. I confess that I believe you and I receive salvation from my sins and new life in my soul. I now cross over from death to life in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed the prayer, please let us know in the comment section to say, I prayed the prayer. But before you go, I'm going to pray a victory of every person who raised their hand about their relationship status. Father, I thank you for this conversation that we've had together. We pray, Lord, that you will teach us to live in victory, that we will upgrade our relationship from, you know what they do out there? To what you say. That you will up, we will upgrade our journey with you where you are first. Our commitment prioritizes you. And from that commitment, we honor everything you've given to us, including a wife or a husband and children, a calling and a career. Teach us to build wisely in Jesus' name. And everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise, worship and thanksgiving? <laughs>